All right. Um, also, along with Awaken concluding, our teaching series, My House, Your Home, is concluding. Aww. I know. Um, also, you can't see the font at all. But that says, if you look really close and squint, that says my house, your home, I swear. Uh, but yeah, we're in, the, we're in the fifth week of this series. And if, you, if you're new, it's all online, Ethos Hillsborough Village. Um, our podcast is on Spotify and Apple. You can catch up. But basically, we've spent five weeks just like trying to, my wife is squinting her eyes so hard. I looked over my wife, she was doing this. Um, I know, babe, the font's the wrong color. Um, But um, for the last five weeks, we've really just taken some time to imagine. um, Imagine something that I believe can easily be a reality for you. What if your home was a place where the presence of God was palpable? Like, what if your bedroom, instead of it being a place that's prone to phone time and distraction or addiction or anxiousness or apathy, instead, when you open the door to your bedroom, like your brain went off, like, man, this is where God is. This is where the peace of God exists effortlessly. And we spent the last five weeks just kind of thinking about this and even talking every week around, hey, what could you do to your physical environment that would be conducive to your spiritual growth? So we've nerded out. We've done things like, hey, what if you put scripture on your walls or you played soft music and lit a candle and had like kind of a prayer regimen or had a prayer closet and all this stuff. And we're gonna continue in that today. And before I introduce the topic, I'd rather tell you a story. And so I wanna tell you about my mom and my dad. Um, My mom and my dad always had people at our house. And growing up, this was very normal. And it actually literally wasn't until like, four or five days ago, as I was preparing for this teaching where I realized it was actually really abnormal how often people were over at our house. Um, And we had people over for a lot of reasons. Um, One of the main things was we hosted Survivor Night. What's Survivor Night? Sounds creative. Nope. Uh, Just a television show every Thursday at seven, okay? And uh, my parents would literally, this is not a lie, they would light, they would put tiki torches out in the front yard, light them. We had a purple boom box that we'd put a Survivor CD soundtrack in, close it, press play. I can't remember the theme song anymore. It's not coming to me because <laughs> I was a long time ago, but they'd press play and then like all these parents and kids would show up. Inevitably, the kids would go outside. The parents would watch Survivor. I'm not really sure what they did. And we lived in a small town, so that was like as good as it got. That was pretty lit. That was like downtown, you know what I mean? Uh, so um, I remember also having friends over all the time and my parents were so cool with it. And it wasn't just like one friend. I would have like eight friends over and we'd either be playing football in the front yard um, and I'd always be, you know, all-time quarterback or... Um, we play Call of Duty and uh, drink like monster energy drinks until 2 a.m., you know, and just the most like I'm 17 ever. Um, I remember multiple occasions we had friends that were in kind of a crisis and they needed a place to live. And we had this office slash guest room. There was a bed and a computer and a keyboard and that was a place that people could stay. And so on multiple occasions, we had people that would live in that room for several weeks or months. And if they happened to stay over the holidays, my parents would get them gifts. And this was just normal to me. Like I, I, that was a normal experience. We would just treat them like family. I remember hosting Bible studies, game nights, meals, birthday parties. 
one time we lost one of our close friends in a really tragic car accident. And uh, I was like, I think I was like 16 at the time, something like that. And a whole host of friends like just came and stayed at our house that night. And we laughed together. We cried together. We remembered our friend that we lost. And this is so random, but like the local news heard about it and came over and like filmed it. I don't still understand that really, but that happened. And as I was thinking about this week, I'm like, wait, there was something so unique about how my parents leveraged their house, like that people that heard about it were like, we need to see this. This is special. And my parents, um, I remember how often some of my friends would talk to my parents and they would call them their second mom and dad, or they'd just call them mom and dad. And they'd call my house their second home. And I felt internally a little territorial, like, hey, no, it's not though, right? It's my home. So... <laughs> Like, chill out. <laughs> but now that I'm older, I've grown to appreciate the beauty of that. And what I'm realizing now, as I, this week, literally, is my parents were so good at using their home as a source of soul care for other people. They knew that they could leverage their home to minister to souls. And it wasn't complicated. My parents didn't preach sermons or like overdo it with evangelism, you know? They just simply opened their home and they were warm and they were sweet and they were gracious and they were comforting and they knew how to just kind of be the presence of God for people. And today that's really what this conversation is. It's around hospitality and discipleship, about, about around what your home can be. And as I was thinking about this for you all, I felt a really simple sentiment. There is so much on the table in this conversation for everyone in this room. Like there is a feast for the taking. You have no idea the richness that is awaiting you and blessing others in your home. And I wanna explore this and I wanna invite you today as I talk to really take this personal. Don't hand this teaching off to your neighbor. Don't drift off and think about what's coming this afternoon or this evening or this week. Dream with the Lord. Lord, what are some small, simple ways that my home can be a blessing? And I wanna start with something that we all know intuitively and maybe it's really obvious and it just I'm a slow learner, but just the simple act of welcoming someone into your home that actually says a lot. Like I started just really thinking about it. When someone opens their front door and you walk through their front door, something's happening there. Like I thought about this. Immediately when you welcome someone into your home, there's a level of vulnerability. Let me explain this. Seeing someone walk around in their socks, we're already at a different level of friendship, aren't we? You know? little pitter-patter across the hardwood or the carpet. If it's going really well, someone will maybe run and slide a little bit, you know? Can I get you any water, you know? I don't know what that was, I'm sorry. Like the first two minutes of walking through the front door and attempting to have natural conversation. Vulnerable, right? Like, is anyone else like me where you're like, I know the person's coming over as friends, but when I open the door, I, I hope there's like a natural, you know, something to talk about. Like, it's vulnerable. When people walk into a house, there's this collective agreement. Hey, we're here for the same goal, friendship, okay? And we're gonna try to make this happen together. There's camaraderie. 
there's also this level of trust. Like when I let you in my house, I'm trusting a few things. Right off the bat, I promise you I trust you in this. You're not trying to rob me or harm me, right? Does that make sense? Like since you're here, I'm assuming that you're here for friendship. You're here for peace. So on some level, intuitively, I trust you when you come into my house. And I'm assuming you trust me. And I know that sounds goofy, but that's not nothing. Welcoming someone into your house brings trust. It also brings this level of depth. Before words are even shared, you immediately know someone better when you walk into their house. Just what you see gives you some insight into their personality, their decorations, their organization, or lack thereof, their cleanliness, or lack thereof, the smells, the bathroom trash can, you know, is it overflowing? Is it existing? Is it nice and tidy? The toilet, you know, did they think about that? How's the smell? All sorts of context clues about too far. All sorts of context clues about the sanity of the person that you've just like welcomed into your house or the house that you're in. And all of this, like just going into a house does so much for friendship. I was thinking about um, my friends, uh, Marcus and Shelby, who are over there. Raise your hand. Hey, oh, hey. They're new to Nashville uh, over the last several months. They're amazing. Get to know them. But um, they invited me over to their house several months ago. And just walking in there and paying attention to your decorations and your furniture, and I thought your little chairs were so expensive. Then you're like, no, not really. We got them here. And I was like, no way. That's a great deal. Oh, my gosh. But I learned that like Shelby's really into art and decoration and Marcus is really into cooking and he's like really, really good at it. He's gonna make food for us next Sunday, no. Uh, <laughs> but within 10 minutes, I knew them differently. And I've only went over to their house once. They've never been over to mine, my apologies. But now when I see them on Sundays, it's more than just a Sunday acquaintance. I know them on a different level simply because I went into their house. And so all I'm really trying to say is what you already understand. Your home's a powerful place. It's profound what you can do for someone else when you just simply open up your front door. You know who else knew this about the home? Someone guess. You slick, sly dogs, yes. <laughs> Jesus was so good at taking full advantage of the home Jesus was so good at taking full advantage of the home that he would come into your house and make you feel at home. How about that, you know? This is actually what bothered, Jesus, uh, what bothered the Pharisees so much about Jesus. There's a moment in Luke chapter five where they get really frustrated with how Jesus is behaving. And their only complaint, it's one complaint, is that he dines with sinners, they don't even address what he's saying to them. Just the fact that he's sharing a meal with them in a home gets under their skin. Why? Because for Pharisees that were judgmental people, they knew that Jesus was communicating something to these outsiders, these scumbags that didn't belong in the temple and they didn't belong near God. Jesus was telling them they belong. Because they shared a meal in the home, they were welcome. They weren't being judged for all their wounds, all their scars. It meant they were loved. That's what it meant. Just imagine Jesus sitting at the table. Everyone around him smells like cigarettes. 
uses foul language, and they all do that thing where they'll like drop the F word and then go, oh, Jesus, I'm sorry. I know that you're like a pastor. Like, any other pastors in here have that happen to them all the time? Just me? It's like, it's okay. Be yourself. Like, imagine like the language surrounding Jesus, these people. But soon they realize Jesus has accepted them, and they're comfortable, and they're telling jokes, and they're laughing, and they're not hipster. They don't know fashion. They don't know what music is cool. They just work really long hours and they long to crack open a six pack when they get home and they're exhausted. And in the company of Jesus, they feel welcomed, loved, received, shockingly, like the rabbi with this posture. And just by simply sitting at the same table, sharing the same meal, these men and women who've been implicitly and explicitly told they do not belong are experiencing the exact opposite from the son of God. Jesus knew that soul ministry, that soul care, was at its very best in the home. He was so keenly aware that the home is where the heart is, and he loves going after the heart. I was reminded of Luke chapter 19, verses 1 through 10. Zacchaeus was a... Start beatboxing. This is a really profound story, and I'm seeing it in a different light today. It says that Jesus entered Jericho and was passing through. And behold, there was a man named Zacchaeus. He was a chief tax collector and was rich. And he was seeking to see who Jesus was. But on account of the crowd, he could not because he was small in stature. So he ran on ahead and climbed up into a sycamore tree to see him, for he was about to pass that way. And when Jesus came to the place, he looked up and said to him, Zacchaeus, hurry and come down, for I must stay at your house today. And so he hurried and he came down and he received him joyfully. How sweet. And when they saw it, they all grumbled. He's gone in to be the guest of a man who's a sinner. And Zacchaeus stood and said to the Lord, Behold, Lord, the half of my goods I give to the poor. And if I've defrauded anyone of anything, I will restore to them fourfold. And Jesus said to him, Today salvation has come to this house, since he is also a son of Abraham. For the Son of Man came to seek and save the lost. So Jesus sees a greedy tax collector who steals from his own people, He gets rich off of robbing his own. And Zacchaeus watches from a distance as Jesus walks in because Zacchaeus is a coward, but he also wants to see Jesus. And I want us just to consider for a second, Jesus had other options here, other options that would have been nice. He could have said, Zacchaeus, come down here. I need to tell you something real quick. It's gonna change your life. Or Zacchaeus, get down from the tree. Let's go on a walk. Or Zacchaeus, you've been in sin. You need to repent. Sell everything and follow me. He could have done all of those things and Jesus would have been perfectly righteous in doing it and Zacchaeus would have needed to respond. But instead, what Jesus does, in the midst of three years of the most powerful ministry the earth's ever seen, while tens or hundreds of voices are screaming his name, begging for his attention, Jesus chooses to slow down to press pause on the world around him and to do something incredible, to pay attention 
to Zacchaeus. To look at Zacchaeus in such a way that Zacchaeus knows I've got nowhere to be. I got nothing on my agenda today. I'm coming to your house and we're gonna eat together. And in that moment, Zacchaeus knew something about himself that he had not known before. Holy smokes, I'm loved by God. I'm welcomed in the presence of the Lord. Jesus gave Zacchaeus his time, his love, his listening ear, his care, his compassion, his grace. And it says Zacchaeus received him, what? Joyfully. Isn't that amazing? From being a skeptic in a tree to joyfully receiving Jesus into his dining room. And he gives everything that he had ever stolen away and returns it fourfold. And then Jesus concludes this moment by saying, today salvation has come to this house for the son of man came to seek and save the lost. Jesus came to seek and save the lost and understood the home is a primary tool for doing so. This is something I love about Jesus. The love of Jesus is always up close and personal. Always. Jesus did not understand a mercy and a compassion that stayed distant. He touched the leper. He welcomed the children. He put his hands on blind eyes and deaf ears. He washed dirty feet. He reclined at the dinner table for anyone that was hungry. Anyone looking for love never came up empty-handed around Jesus. And I want you to know this, church. The same spirit that was constantly bubbling over in Jesus, showing these radical moments of the sweetest love and presence and compassion, the identical Holy Spirit in Christ is in you. Do you hear the miracle I'm proclaiming to you? The same spirit that saw salvation come to Zacchaeus' soul in the context of his dining room abides in you. The same spirit that lived in Jesus lives in your home. The same spirit willing and eager to save the lost is in your home. He's in you and he wants to bubble up. He wants to overflow. Philippians 2 says that that Jesus was just sitting in glory and all of existence busying itself, praising the name of Jesus. Jesus had nothing to do but be perfect and absorb the glory that was his. And for the sake of the world, he set everything aside and became obedient to the point of death so that you and I could be called sons and daughters of God. If Jesus can set aside the glory of heaven, can we set aside our home? If Jesus set aside the glory of heaven, could we set aside our home 
for the glory of God and the salvation of our brothers and our sisters. I believe revival is just waiting to happen in your home. More than a powerful sermon or an amazing worship set, if we were a collection of individuals, each of us utilizing the space that we call home, saying, come, Lord, come. Will your Holy Spirit minister to this place? May your grace pour out of this place. May your compassion pour out of this place. May your spirit meet the downtrodden, meet the broken in this space. This church would multiply tenfold with salvation, not church transfer. Caveat, before I dig into the next part. Your home is a place of rest. And if you're type A or you're a big time achiever, you're feeling pressure right now because I'm I'm making you think about how often you got to use your home to be a blessing. And Christians can really struggle with that obedient stuff, you know? I'm not asking you to convert your house to a hostel unless you feel called, by all means. This is always about next step stuff, you know? That's kind of how it works. I give you a sermon, I fire you up. I give you a big vision, and then you go, but what's my next step? Can't get to step 100 without step one, okay? So throughout this process, just ask the Lord, what could be my next step in seeing the presence of God be a blessing to my community, to my church family, to the lost, to people that don't know the love of God yet, okay? Does that make sense? Am I making sense? I didn't get a lot of sleep. I feel delirious. I don't even know what I'm saying. Anyway, um, I do know what I'm saying, and I I believe in it. Um, Okay. So, a simple point. There is so much room in your home. No matter its shape and size. Apartment, dorm, condo, house, duplex, whatever. There is so much untapped potential. If we'll simply begin asking, Lord, how can my home be a blessing? Simple question. And then choosing to sit in the presence of God and go, God, let's get creative together. Like, maybe I'll host a Bible study, but maybe it's something different. Like, help me get creative with you. How could my home turn around and bless others? But I believe there's a lot of room. And I I thought about two words, hospitality and discipleship. So let's just brainstorm. I'm not gonna talk very long because we got baptism stuff going on. I'm hoping we're gonna have one for the 9 a.m. But let's talk about hospitality for just a second. How can you use your home to be hospitable. Here's the definition of hospitality. The friendly and generous reception and entertainment of guests, visitors, or strangers. I made up my own phrase. Is it already up there? A soul spa? Is it up there? I put it in smaller font. Next slide. There it is. TM. (laughs) Just in case. Don't be greedy. I know there's a lot of entrepreneurs in this place, and soul spa is a really good phrase. Like a soul sauna, a soul steamer. I'm going to stop. But Lord, like I want my space. I want my living room or my bedroom or whatever, like wherever I can host someone. I want it to be a place where there's real warmth, real grace, real kindness, a place where people can literally come kick their shoes off, put their feet up. Whether this is someone that doesn't know Jesus, like don't overthink this. Invite someone that doesn't know Jesus into your home. As they experience love and grace and warmth through you, they'll soon start connecting the dots that maybe there's something to that in your soul. Or maybe this is a place 
to deepen friendships within this church. Guys, I'm really eager. One of my main prayers for this year is that we see a lot more of this in this church. Like that you look across and see people that you love saying hey to and you take it to that next level. Hey, come to my house this week. Let's turn up. Marcus, make me dinner, you know? Let's get to know each other. How can we bless people? I don't wanna treat you like you don't already know answers, so I'm gonna walk through this rather quickly. But share a meal together, you know? Whether it's homemade or takeout or a potluck, but simply choose to share meals. Like maybe that needs to be your checklist for the month of March. Share at least one meal from someone in this church or share at least one meal in your home with someone that doesn't know Jesus and just show them love and kindness. Or have people over and be a little more intentional with conversation. Like we can't always be like super intentional. I think spontaneity is a key ingredient in friendship. You know, if we're always being intentional, like how's your heart? It's like, are we really friends? This is weird, you know? You're kind of my friend slash counselor. But certainly sometimes check in with people, practice listening and practice listening in the way you respond to them. Ask them questions about their life. And when they get done talking, respond by reflecting what they've said, not by saying, oh my gosh, that reminds me of something about me. But like, hey, I hear what you say. That sounds challenging. Is that true? That's kind of what I'm hearing. You know what I'm saying? Okay. Man, do stuff that makes you laugh. Have fun together. I feel like I'm, t- you guys get this, but play games, arts and crafts, listen to music, make music, right? Nashville, watch movies, do pranks. Dude, we have lost the art of pranking. No one has ever TP'd my house. Do you not know my love language at all? Come and just like paint my front door and leave. In the middle of the night, I come out, my door's just a different color. That'd be hilarious if you chose a good color. Be adventurous. I gave away some secrets. Be adventurous. Do fun stuff. Use your home as a greenhouse for community to grow, guys, untapped potential. Look, your first dinner is gonna be awkward, but a year of dinners will form crazy good friendship. I promise you, let's do that. Secondly, your homes as a source of discipleship. Guys, we overcomplicate and we make boring discipleship. We've reduced discipleship to can you meet at 8th and Rose at 8 a.m. on a Wednesday. I'm not throwing shade at coffee shop discipleship. I love that. But discipleship can be far more enjoyable than that. Discipleship is, hey, come over to my house regularly, and we're going to hang. One of my favorite versions of discipleship is osmosis. It literally means just be around me while I make food, while I grocery shop, while I run errands, while I exercise, while I go on a walk. Just, Just hang out. And I'm praying for you and I'm following Jesus and I want you to follow Jesus. And so while we're together, there will be natural conversation that is centered around you becoming more like Christ. Just get them to your house, spend time with them. I wanna say this to Christians in this space. If you're not discipling someone, there, there is something missing in your life. And it is such a beautiful adventure. Discipling someone for six months is fine. Discipling someone for four years is so much fun. You will watch them become like Christ before your eyes and you'll start feeling like a proud parent even though you're only two years older than them. Then you'll apologize for crying like a proud dad. That's happened to me. (laughs) I'm so proud, I'm sorry, Yeah, we're the same age. And I think we feel this pressure on discipleship. How do you do it? 
What does it look like? Dude, don't overcomplicate it. Pray for them and spend time with them. That's the osmosis strategy. But also maybe you do want to do something more intentional. Hey, come over to my house these nights and we're going to get in the word together. Or we're going to practice praying together for an hour and it's going to be super weird until it's not. And then it's going to be awesome. So I don't know which version of discipleship you feel called to. If it's like, I'm going to just like kind of put my toes in the water and just like come over, I'm praying for you and we'll just hang, it's all good. Or maybe you want to do something more intentional. But I challenge you Christians, use your home as a source of discipling people you care about. And if you don't know who that is, spend the next couple of weeks praying, God, will you show me someone that I can like invite into my home and help them get to know Christ? Help them follow Christ as I do? And so what I want to challenge you to do this week, I remember a few years ago, actually this was like eight years ago, I went over to a friend's house and they were so sweet. We were having this, the, this awesome conversation. And in the middle of the conversation, I just told them, I told them like, I feel a peace in this house that is so profound. I'd ne- I don't talk like that, okay? I was like 23. I was like, there's something about this space, not what you're saying. This space has such peace in it. And they were like, you know what's funny? Is last week we prayed over this house and we literally prayed that as someone crosses the threshold of our front door, they immediately feel the peace of Jesus. And I said, you know what's funny? Is I waited to tell you that I felt the peace of Jesus the second I walked in here. (laughs) It was so weird. I know, I just, I know, I know. This is kind of weird vibes, but it happened, all right? And I wanna just encourage you sometime this week, out loud, spend 10 minutes, pray over your house. Father, you have loved me so well. You have ministered to me so well. You have brought me so much grace and mercy and peace. It would be my honor, my absolute privilege, if my home became a place where someone else encounters that grace and mercy. God, it would be an absolute honor if you'd answer this prayer. And I don't know the first thing about how to do it, but you got, you're the Holy Spirit, you got this. So I give it to you, Lord. Will you let this space be a place of soul care to people I care about? Help this to be a place of ministry. I was talking to Gentry, and I think at times we've overused the word mission. Mission can feel kind of heavy, doesn't it? Mission can almost feel, and it's a great word. We've got a prize. We've got a goal we're aiming at. But I want to introduce to you this word ministry. I believe we're all called to be ministers, to be people that participate with Jesus in soul care. So pray this week, God, may my house be a source of soul care. Imagine someone who secretly has been walking in isolation and loneliness. You don't even know it. And they come over to your house for dinner and in your mind it's just casual hangs, no big deal. But two hours in, they're feeling more loved and more accepted and more comforted than they felt in years. That's all so easy and so possible. Marcus, would you mind coming up here? I already told Marcus I was gonna ask him to come up here. This isn't that spontaneous. He doesn't super know what I'm asking him to talk about, but um, we got lunch this week. I thought the timing was cool. We were supposed to get it last week, and then then had to cancel. Um, And uh, yeah, and um, 
would you just take like two minutes, three minutes or less? Like you don't gotta talk a long time. But you have a big heart. You and Shelby both have a really cool heart for this. And um, will you just share why you feel like the home can be a place where true, like just gospel life can take place? Yeah. Um, hello, I am Marcus. Uh, my wife is Shelby. Um, so both of us come from the hospitality industry. Um, Shelby's kind of out of that right now. She's going into interior design, like art and decoration. Um, but I'm currently a chef at a place called South Hall Farm and Inn. And so, um, yeah. And so hospitality is a huge part of our life. Um, and we both feel like wholeheartedly called to this industry. And, um, <clears throat> sorry. And so um, we just feel like the home is such a special place for hospitality, um, doing it professionally and then doing it as like a servant of Christ to drastically different ballparks there. And so um, as far as doing it as like a, a servant of Christ, um, it's just super sweet whenever we have people over and um, we try to do it often. Um, and so it's just super sweet because like these two things, hospitality and discipleship, both are the natural um, response, I guess, when you invite people over. It's like, hey, we're gonna come over and, and eat, hang out, watch a movie. But more times than not, by the end of the night, there's tears being shed on our couch and in these crazy cool chairs and stuff like that. Um, it's true. People, people have let out like some really, really heavy stuff to my wife. Um, like she does life with one of her friends and uh, yeah, she's let out some pretty heavy stuff on our couch. Um, same for me with some of my guy friends. And um, so yeah, just when you create that space and you invite Jesus to kind of be a part of your home life and your hospitality life, um, so much happens. It's just absolutely nuts. Over a meal, doesn't matter how expensive or crazy it is, it can literally just be some ramen. And uh, people love that because a lot of us just don't want to cook. And so if someone else is like, hey, let me cook for you, then it's like blessing in itself. And I was going to say something else. And it doesn't, like, we put a lot of pressure on ourselves to have, like, this big, beautiful home and picture-perfect room and all this kind of stuff. But, like, it really doesn't matter what your home is like. When we first got married, we lived in what we call the shoebox because I'm pretty sure it was, like, 300 square feet and it had, like, half of a bedroom and then a big, massive kitchen. It really wasn't thought, like, laid out well. But we had people over all the time. All the time. Um, people from Nashville came down to see us. People from way down in Mississippi came up to see us, just all kind of stuff. And so, um, yeah, just those environments, it doesn't matter what it looks like. If you have a studio apartment, college dorm, or whatever, the Lord is, like, waiting to use that with you. Um, and it doesn't matter how big it is, the square footage. doesn't matter what you cook for people. Um, but the Lord just honors meals and being with people and sharing, like, that time with people. And I think about all the time in the Bible when Jesus is sharing a meal with people, like the outcome of that. It's like feeding the 5,000. The last thing Jesus did before he was crucified was ate with his friends, you know, and, and hung out with people in their homes. And so, yeah, that would be my, that would be my hospitality yeah. spill. It's just invite people over, share meals with them, and this stuff, or it's gone now. But the hospitality and discipleship is just like the natural response of when a bunch of people who love Jesus jump into a, like an intimate space together. And stuff is just out from that so thanks Marcus yeah yeah thank, thank you. you we all help me thank him um our lunch was so, going so good I actually recorded our conversations like hey I'm sorry but I'm about to make this like a, a makeshift podcast because like some of the stuff so that he was sharing had so much wisdom in it I'd encourage you if you have any questions around this literally go find Marcus and Shelby and ask them specifics but I think for us like I don't know why it can feel so weird 
the prospect of intentionally inviting people over with the intention of showing them Jesus. Guys, that is not weird. Jesus is amazing. Uh, Our hearts are desperate for him, whether we know it or not. And people are eager to be loved. So like, let's take the pressure off. Let's stop being weird about this. Open up your home. Pray that God will help you bless someone. And I think some really cool things will happen. So I want to go to communion. And I want to unlock my computer. Um, Yeah, I want to go to communion. And uh, we'll spend like four minutes. And I want to invite you to prayerfully imagine with God a few ways that you could use your home as a source of soul care. Now, some of y'all live in small dorms. I hear you. Get creative. Maybe it's not your dorm that you're using. I trust you. You're smart. Um, But prayerfully imagine with God, God, what could this look like? Like, how could I make people feel at home? How could I make a place, a, a source of like soul care, peace, kindness, love, compassion? And then I want to challenge you to write down one or two things that you can execute, that you can actually act on, okay? And so four or five minutes, we're going to play some soft music. I invite you to to, to wrestle with the Lord, and then we're going to share together.